The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 11th chapter. Through the raising of Lazarus, Jesus offers the world a vision of the life to come, when death and weeping will be no more. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Let us pray. Our creator God, we come today with hearts that are filled with memories sometimes of all those relatives that we have known and lost along the way, many who we've enjoyed times of holidays, times of very important family um, remembrances, and now uh, sometimes the circle of those relatives gets thinner and thinner, and uh, many of us long for the days when we can see them again. This is that day of consolation and hope, Lord, About six months from Easter, that day of resurrection, we come to All Saints Day, another day of promised resurrection, because we needed to be reminded, twice in the year at least, that this is our hope and our assurance in baptism. So be with us this day as we celebrate the promise of new life, and as we once again dedicate ourselves to serving others in your name, and to truly try to be less sinner and more of a saint. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Fall has always been one of my absolute favorite times of year. It seems to be the most expressive time of year. Nature is colorful and sort of educational spiritually at this time of year. Nature paints the picture of death and resurrection in the trees and the bushes and the gardens and all the forests of Kodachrome fashion show. 
is reflecting the Creator's glory. But we do lament those summer days, many of us, uh, the days uh, of warmer time this morning, and yet I love fall, that crimson color in the maple trees, the oranges of flame now kissed by the killing frost, Orange sumac plants stand out against crisp azure skies. The cloud formations are so creative and high at this time of year. And one's clock turns back to embrace real time and more darkness at this time of year. Cool frosty nights will soon rule the landscape. But those majestic pines, the evergreen pines remain unchanged year-round and are really placeholders for the fact that there is never an end to life. We, too, will be evergreen in our death and resurrection. We plant those dry, flaky tulip bulbs and all kinds of other bulbs in our garden. They look ever so much like a waste of time, and yet we know that when we put them in their little uh, garden tombs in the earth and cover them up, We are confident in springtime. They will rise again with shoots and glorious blossoms. Easter's colorful uprising is springtime. We know the promise of All Saints Day, that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more, mourning, crying, and pain. For the first things have passed away, it says in Revelation And God assures us, I am making all things new. Oh, my brothers and sisters, this holy day, aren't we so hungry for good news? There's so much bad news on the television every day. It's been barely a week since the devastating shooting of 11 members of the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. All week, if you're like me, we have mourned them one funeral at a time or two on certain days. And then there was two weeks back when I was officiating at 9 o'clock and the prayer request times came. And they were so heartbreaking. The stories, I can't shake them still. One family lost a 14-year-old son whose bike was hit by a car as he rode for candy at the store. We prayed for a man who in his late 20s was out in Center City on a date, yet he was fatally shot before his date's eyes. We cringe at the brutal killing of a Saudi journalist working in Washington, D.C., when he goes to seek a marriage license. We are so hungry for that sense of peace and promise and hope, this year especially. Amen? Amen. Listen then for that promise in today's reading from Isaiah. The Lord of hosts will destroy the shroud that is cast over all peoples. He will swallow up death forever. And then the Lord will wipe away all the tears from all faces. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Can I get an amen for the promise? Amen. But there is more detailed hope yet this morning in our gospel story about Lazarus. 
He was a best friend of Jesus, as you may know, as were his sisters Mary and Martha. And this story is only recorded in John's Gospel. That while Jesus had been teaching elsewhere, down the road in another village perhaps, Lazarus, his good buddy, became deathly sick. His sisters sent messengers out to find Jesus, to call him back quickly, as their brother was so ill. But Jesus seemed in no hurry at all. So, in the meantime, Lazarus dies. And Jewish custom, as you know, required he be buried before sundown that same day. So he is wrapped in cloth, in cloth bands, and buried in a tomb, and it is sealed with a large stone or boulder. Does that sound vaguely familiar? When Jesus finally returns to the village, Mary mournfully complains to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus is disturbed, it says, and deeply moved. If you read again this passage, it's one of the most emotional times that they portray Jesus, deeply disturbed and deeply moved. Some have said it's not so much a a sadness in the grief as it is that they don't believe that he can do anything about this exactly, or that they think this is the last day. When they do finally show Jesus to the tomb, it says, Jesus weeps, that famous shortest Bible passage. Jesus weeps, again, the emotion. The only place in the Gospels we hear this particular verse. One commentator, Pastor Tito Madrazo, says this, Why does he weep? If he's going to raise him to life again. Good question. The answer? Jesus knows the need to weep with the brokenhearted. He knows the good news of resurrection. But he says, I have grown to believe that laughter becomes richer for those who have wept, that dancing is more exhilarating for those who have mourned. Lazarus has been dead now for four days, and the scripture says there was a stench. The author adds this, you see, to heighten the drama. It was not uncommon in those days, due to the quick burials they had to perform in that hot weather, they had to bury in Jewish tradition before sundown. And so, as it turns out, some people got buried a little bit too soon, and they revived, much to their surprise, where they were. And so, in this imagery on Easter morning, reminiscent of those times, Jesus is taking uh, his time, sort of, to get there, and the the four days is emphasized because it means there was no mistake this time. This man isn't just going to resuscitate. He is dead, dead. Jesus comes to the tomb, and he prays to God, and then he commands the dead man to come out, and he did. Lazarus raised from the dead with face and body still wrapped in all the bands of burial cloth. Not many people uh, believed that Jesus was Messiah, 
before this miracle. But those who stood among them at that moment couldn't believe their eyes. It was stunning, could you imagine? And now many believed in Jesus. This gospel is used on All Saints Day to assure us as believers, as beloved kin of Jesus, that he will raise us up as well on the last day. But he will also genuinely take the time to mourn our dying. Author Brandon Wrencher adds some insight. He says, Scripture puts to the fore those whose tears are trivialized by the status quo. The political kingdoms of this world glamorize muscle and power. There's little room for tears. Only divide and conquer. That Jesus wept in verses 11-35 in John is the scandal of our God, a symbol of God's weakness and limits. Yet these two words are some of the most powerful in Scripture. In the holy city where Jesus is king, tears take on a new meaning. They constitute a political reality that flies in the face of the rigidity of worldly power, politics of solidarity, of identification. Jesus identifies with Mary. Behold our crying feminine God. And he promises to wipe away every tear from their eyes within a new creation constituted by justice and forgiveness, which will make room for all the saints, enemies, and friends. So, my fellow believers, it may not feel like a typical All Saints Day sermon, but these haven't been typical times. What I do know is the healing power the hope and the joy of last Sunday night's gathering at Beth Or Synagogue with almost 1,000 community members gathering together. Lutherans, Catholics, all different races, Jews, Muslims, packed into Beth Or Synagogue. One place. It was so crowded they had only expected initially 350 people, said Rabbi Marx. But as we arrived, some of us who were going to speak, we noticed that it was already getting full in the parking lot at 6 o'clock, 6.15. And then as they pushed out the partition for the room where we were to add another 300 or so, they had to push out again to another that would have filled the whole Sabbath on the highest holidays of all. And that is how many people stood there. I mean, we were in the, in the particular room, but standing room only also lined the walls. It was so inspirational. We lamented together the fears and the hatred that we felt and that we expressed on behalf of our Jewish brothers and sisters, both at the Tree of Life Synagogue and right here in Ambler and surrounding communities and in Philadelphia, there was a joyful unity in our respect and love for each other that night. It was also the night filled with palpable hope for better days and deeper connections with each other. 
We were one. And we didn't want it to end. And so there is, as always, the Thanksgiving service coming up on the 18th of November, a Sunday evening, the community Thanksgiving service, interfaith again. And we are hoping we can gather a large crowd again to stand together on that occasion in Thanksgiving that we can become one. As worship professor Ben Stewart of Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago said, All Saints Day is commemorated when days are shorter, branches are becoming bare, and the air is colder. November begins a cycle of readings extending through Advent in which the themes of death and danger are in dialogue with our deepest hope. As the sun sinks lower in the sky each day, our scripture texts help us to seek answers to a searing question. How can we live in hope and integrity when it looks like the end of the world? We call to mind every Sunday the great company of saints as we join their unending hymn around the communion table. We bear witness to new saints being born in the baptismal waters. All Saints Day reimagines the world, all of it. Even in death, God is making all things new. For Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed, saints of God. Alleluia and amen.